Social Minute, the podcast that looks at social network minute by minute. Today we're going to be covering minute number 93, which goes from an hour and 32 to an hour 32.59. And we start with Eduardo saying, <laughs> Mark, Jesus, I quit the internship. Um, I should say in the previous minute, Mark, in addition to asking about the internship, he also asked about Christy. And he'll bring that up again here. And then there's a discussion about what's going on with Christy and her particular state of mind. Um, let's say, uh, and then, you know, the, as the minute goes on, um, you know, we, we find out that Mark feels that things are moving faster than, you know, anyone's ever imagined. And, um, you know, he doesn't want Eduardo to get left behind. Um, you know, we get the, we, uh, again, one of the minutes where we get a marker of how many people they've got. And he says, you know, 300,000 members, Wado, we're in 160 schools. Yeah. <laughs> and I like as well how Eduardo says, um, I'm aware of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he's like, you know, five in Europe. And he's like, I'm aware of that, Mark. It's like he's having to kind of say to him, I know what you like, st-, which is a great way. Uh, this is something that, um, you know, I'll talk about a little bit about in, in a bit. But having people argue is a great way of having exposition mm-hmm. come out kind of naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, this is where he says, you know, we, we need more servers. We need more programmers. We need more money. And that is where the minute finishes. And uh, joining me to talk about today is Eric Harzer. Hi there, Darren. Yeah. Now, so I just want to kind of go over that last little bit, which is, um, you know, when he's saying uh, we have 300,000 members, Wado, 160 schools. And he's like, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that, Mark. I'm the CFO. Um, many, many years ago, I listened to the DVD commentary on the film War Games, mm. the Matthew Broderick classic. And on that, you have the director and the two writers, um, both of whom are basically big time producers in, in Hollywood these days. Uh, and they talk about how their characters basically in that film for the first like 30 minutes have to constantly be given out exposition. Mm. And the way that they do it is everybody's always arguing. OK, so characters come in and restate things to each other that they should already mm-hmm. know because they're in an argument. Okay. So when they're talking about like Whopper and, you know, the nuclear warheads and all this kind of, they basically are telling each other stuff that the audience needs to know. But the only reason you would ever repeat something that you already mm-hmm. know is because you're arguing with someone and you're kind of maybe trying to, like in this conversation, the fact that Mark is saying, you know, we've got 300,000 members, Wado, we're in 160 schools. And the fact that Wado keeps saying, I'm aware yeah. of that, Mark. I'm aware of that. I'm the CFO. Like, they're in the middle of an argument and Mark is kind of making a point of like telling him the obvious because, I don't know, he's almost belittling him a little bit. Well, yeah. <laughs> kind of saying, you don't seem to be aware of how big we are. We're moving faster than I thought we would. You know, like, and that's that's why he's able to kind of get away with giving us this update on mm-hmm. like the, the, the kind of the school count and the member count is because they're in the middle of an argument. And it's obviously something that Sorkin also has done. There are so many episodes of The West Wing where people argue and the only argument they're having is restating facts that both of them already <laughs> know to each other. And that's that's like a classic kind of like, you know, argument. Mm-hmm. And again, that's Sorkin doing it here as well. You know, he's saying we need more servers. We need more programmers. We need more money. And that would be obvious to Eduardo. He knows that. That's why he's been trying to get advertisers. He knows they need more money. You know, right. like all of that is obvious to Eduardo. But the only the only way Mark can legitimately say that as a character to him is if they're in an mm-hmm. argument. And I kind of like how that is is kind of handled. Well, I feel like they're in two completely different spaces with each other because for Eduardo, he's out here busting his ass trying to get them those those ads. And then Mark is kind of just 
telling him exactly what he he would tell anyone else essentially he would just be saying oh we need more money we need more capital we're just moving faster and faster and that's just not what eduardo needs to hear eduardo is trying to like talk to mark on a business like business person way of speaking and mark is just not in that headspace at all he's i feel like he's almost on autopilot here like he is so busy thinking about the coding aspect of it that whenever he's not in that uh, headspace, he's just kind of saying the same old shit that he tells anybody else. And of course, Mark has already said to him, I'm afraid if you don't come out here, you're going to be left behind. And he's like, I don't want you, to, you know, I don't want you to be left behind. And of course, as Mark then starts saying it's moving faster than any of us imagined, Edward is like, what did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, what do you mean left behind? And then he's like, you know, it's moving faster and Sean even thinks that. And then of course, he's like, Sean's not part of the company. And that's when they get into this, this kind of the final part of this yeah. argument. Uh, but that whole, you know, the get left behind thing, uh, Mark brings it up, Eduardo asks about it, and then in tomorrow's minute, we'll get a little bit more discussion about what left behind mm-hmm. means. Um, and it's kind of also the end of, like, this argument is then tomorrow, we'll see an action that Eduardo takes, and it's almost like this <laughs> this argument is the motivation right. for that. Um, so, which is, I guess this argument is kind of fictional. Mm, mm. Um, it was true that Sean Parker was living in that house. It was true that they had this house in Palo Alto. Um, and it was true that, you know, what Eduardo does tomorrow actually happened. Um, but I guess, I guess that, um, Aaron Sorkin is kind of giving us a reason for that. Um, but then most of this minute is about, uh, Christy. Um, (laughs) and, and... Mark actually said yesterday, how's Christy before he, you know, Eduardo was like, how's the internship? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we start this minute with him saying, I quit the internship. We've talked about this on the phone, um, you know, and he's like, were you even? And he's like, I quit on my first day. And then, of course, I like how Jesse Eisenberg, again, he's playing sleepy. Yeah. And he's like, I do remember you saying that. <laughs> and then it's kind of like, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you quit your internship. Like, four weeks ago you quit your internship and now i'm remembering the this detail mm-hmm. um so it's it's kind of funny that like he kind of plays it as like being absent-minded and being like oh yeah i remember that conversation now you, you've mentioned right it. um and then of course mark is like you know um how's christy and of course <laughs> this is where eduardo says um christy's crazy <laughs> you know and i like i like jesse eisenberg's kind of almost innocent like is that fun <laughs> <laughs> like he's uh, you know, like kind of like, d- does he mean crazy as in like, you know, crazy, or does he just mean that she's very adventurous uh-huh. and like, uh, like he he's trying to figure out what crazy he means. And of course, he, Eduardo says, "No, I mean she's actually psychotic. <laughs> she's insanely jealous. She's irrational, and I'm frightened of her." Um, and this is basically setting up something that will happen Later. in about five or six yeah. minutes' time. Yeah. So, and uh, but I mean, uh, I mean, obviously these are basically two teenage boys, mm-hmm. like. So, I mean, this kind of language of someone being crazy, um, you know, I'm not a fan of it. I don't think it really, like, you know, if you're in a relationship with someone, you don't really ever kind of classify them as being mm-hmm. crazy. Um, like, the things the things that he's saying here about how she's insanely jealous and she's irrational and frightened of her, uh, it's, it's being played for laughs in this scene. Right. Um, and obviously it's setting up something that will in itself be fairly humorous once we get to it, right. <laughs> like the execution of it. Um, but it's still, it, I don't know, it just, it, I mean, I kind of forgive it because it's teenage boys, uh, but I think kind of the classifying of, like, women as being psychotic and crazy just because, like, basically they want to have their own agency is isn't, uh-huh. is not really, like, 
you know, if if these if these guys were a few years older, it'd be like, you know, is she really crazy, or is there something that you're doing in this relationship that is basically making her actions look crazy? Um, and it's also right. it's if, also if... true that it's something that some men will do when they're out of a relationship. They will they will talk about their ex partner in a way and say that she was crazy and all this kind of stuff. When right. when in some ways they were kind of more to blame for the person's behavior. Yeah, you get to retroactively mark them that way so that you don't feel as as a. Uh part of it um i i kind of feel like it's something that sorkin maybe doesn't really have much time for so it's very easy to just uh write her up as this psychotic person uh that eduardo gets to talk about and then later on it gets brought up and she just the way she's portrayed really bothers me within this movie uh i feel like they maybe just should have cut that bit of it. it it's maybe just a bit too much about framing eduardo's life as not as fun and very very stressful and yeah <laughs> yeah and I, th I the thing is as well in reality the meeting with sean parker um when they went to the restaurant which actually happened um it was mm -hmm. it was mark zuckerberg it was eduardo savarin and it was priscilla chan that were at that okay so it was mark's girlfriend that was there not eduardo's mm -hmm. girlfriend i believe at the time eduardo okay. was going out with someone um but, you know, it's so and I think I think kind of, um, you know, Christie's inclusion in this film. Brenda Song does a wonderful job. She's obviously very charming. Right. Um, so I think she actually kind of elevates the role just a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. But I know that obviously, the, you know, the writing of her character where, you know, at first she's kind of like a nymphomaniac. And then, you yeah. know, she's kind of portrayed as being a bit of a kind of airhead. Uh, although of course she's she's a student at Harvard, so, <laughs> so right, you know, right. She can't so, she can't be that much of an airhead. Um, and yeah. then you know the kind of final portrayal of her, you know, like we'll see in the future scene, kind of matches the description that's being given here of being psychotic and irrational, insanely jealous. Um, mm -hmm. Again, I think some of that is kind of more played for laughs. Like um, in particular, like there's a line that she says that you know I think most people will kind of remember about her character, um, and it's delivered so well, and it's it's kind of funny. So I can kind of forgive uh, the kind of casual sexism in this scene, um, but I just mm -hmm. I, like yeah, I I mean. I would say that kind of Brenda Song overcomes the poor writing of some of the, of the character. Um, and she's mm -hmm. obviously there as like, uh, you know, she's meant to stand in for probably whichever girlfriend Eduardo had at the time or whoever Eduardo was, was seeing or, uh, you know, without right. being a specific person, because I don't think the script really, I don't think that Sorkin really wants a, a specific person in that role. Like if it had been Priscilla mm -hmm. Chan, it would have complicated things a lot because she was in the Palo Alto house and she was going out with Mark. So I like this idea yeah. of Mark in this conversation asking like, what's it like to have a girlfriend basically is like, it, it's, it's kind of weird because he was dating Priscilla Chan before, like from before Facebook existed. So like it, it's, but, but I guess I kind of understand why they focused the story on Mark and Eduardo and kind of having Christy mm -hmm. there, but you know, there was nothing to, to stop the kind of the event the inevitable breakup from happening off screen. Like, um, mm. You know, I think the portrayal of it on screen is is very memorable for a specific reason, and it serves a purpose. Uh, but yeah, the idea that Eduardo is basically not having fun in New York while Mark is basically yeah. partying like crazy, <laughs> like uh, yeah, uh, that, that kind of that that kind of uh, delineation between their their excite their kind of the different lives they're leading, um, even if Mark is basically mm -hmm. here exhausted from coding for the last day and a half. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah you know it's it's kind of funny it's like you know like it, it doesn't it doesn't really kind of fit with the, the rest like the idea that mark is having fun but he's also completely bleary-eyed and exhausted in this scene is kind of contrasted with eduardo who you know 
had a good internship, but he quit it to kind of help grow this company. And I right. guess that isn't being appreciated by Mark. Um, mm-hmm. You know, although I do find when Ed, Jesse Eisenberg says, you know, still it's it's nice you have a girlfriend. <laughs> it's like <laughs> like that kind of caps off that discussion before Eduardo is like, I do not want that guy representing himself as part of this company. So again, he's dro- he's right. not saying Sean's name. He like literally can't say Sean's name. He's you know, and then of course you know where, this is where Mark is like Wado. You know, this is where it's all happening. You've got to move out here. And of course, mm-hmm. this is when Mark is like. You know, did did you hear what I just said? And of course, we know classic Mark Zuckerberg, um, or should I say, classic movie Mark Zuckerberg? No, he didn't hear what you said. Yeah. <laughs> he, <laughs> you know, he is basically, you know, he, he like he, he he doesn't understand what you're saying because he's he's having three other conversations with himself, um, and obviously right. that's when they kind of get into you know Wado not getting left behind. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like w- with Mark, Mark feels like he's phrasing this as like an. an an offer, an invitation, like, you need to get out here, we, we need to be together to do all this stuff, but the way he's phrased it is so, like, threatening, where it's like, we are going to leave you behind if you <laughs> don't come out here. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's worth saying as well, obviously, once Facebook moved to the West Coast, it never went back. There was, ne- right. there was never a point at which the entire of Facebook was like, oh, we're going to... We're going to, like, exit this gigantic, like, thing that we built in Silicon Valley and we're going to go back to, you know, New York or Boston or where. Like, they never went mm-hmm. back to the East Coast. They, they Once they got out to the West Coast, that's where they've been for the last 15 years and that's where they stayed. Yeah. Uh, and so, obviously, if Eduardo doesn't come out there, that he's he, they're not going to come back for him at any point. You know, like, he, he either has mm-hmm. to come out here or get left behind. He's gone. Yeah. Right. Uh, which I would think, actually, for an internet company is not completely true. There's no reason why there couldn't uh-huh. be a small office in New York that Eduardo worked out of. Like that wouldn't be a real problem. But I think, like at this point, that you know the size of the company, it's it's going to be in you know it's going to be in Palo Alto, it's going to be in Silicon Valley, it's going to be out there. And if Eduardo doesn't join them, then as Mark says, mm. you know it's moving fast and you can get lost behind. Right. And right. it's worth saying Eduardo only only says Sean's name once, where he says Sean is not a part of this company. <laughs> uh, so he he only says Sean's name to emphasize that he's not a part of the company. After saying, you know, him and, and you know, that guy, he, he finally says Sean's name and he's like, he's not a part of this company. Um, something obviously mm-hmm. that, you know, will not be fully true within the next few minutes. So, <laughs> um, Is there anything else that needs to be brought up about uh, this minute? Not really. I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, then we'll go into the Wednesday question, which is, um, what are your thoughts on other David Fincher films? Um, he's a director that I really like. I seek him out whenever he has something new uh, coming up. I've only seen, I've only not seen three of his films: uh, The Game, uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and then uh, it's it's another earlier one. Um, oh man, I had his filmography up and then I closed it. Alien Three. Uh, no, I've seen Alien 3. Um, <laughs> Panic Room, maybe, then? Panic Room. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I will definitely be looking those up uh, recently. I love Zodiac. I only saw Zodiac in the last couple of years. And I think that's almost a perfect movie. Like, it it does so much. And the feel I get from that so often is great. I haven't revisited Seven in a while, but Seven was another, like, just landmark. Holy crap, this is something amazing that movies can uh, pull off. Fight Club is great, but uh, it has somewhat been misunderstood and that kind of filters throughout uh, that movie's entire raison d'etre. So it's kind of kind of mixed now. Gone Girl I thought was great. Gone Girl is really interesting to me because at the beginning of it, 
it felt off it felt wrong uh i didn't understand what was going on and why but i think that's entirely part of the movie and i think uh fincher pulled off something great with that and then i think the other one would be girl with the dragon tattoo which i thought was good um i'd have to revisit that one as well to just see what fincher was all doing with that yeah, I, I think the funny thing with um, uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, obviously people held the original Swedish trilogy in kind of, um, I would say, too high, high regard. Well, yeah. I would say too high regard, because I think mm-hmm. the first film is is kind of good, um, and then the second and third are less good. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously that's because when it was first aired in Sweden, it was actually a six-part miniseries um, oh, okay. that they then cut up and made into... Um, uh, three films, um, you know, which I think that like there, w- there was a way to kind of take some of the stuff from the second film and put it onto the end of the first film, and it would make sense. And then uh-huh. to have the rest of the material be a second film by itself would have made sense. But you know, it was based on three books, and so they did it as three films. Um, okay. And I think what David Fincher is doing with Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is slightly different in that he is basically making his version of a Bond film. Um, mm, mm. in that he had like a James Bond on hand um, right <laughs> so it has like you know an opening kind of pre-titles Bond type thing and then the opening titles are kind of almost like a kind of twisted version of like a, a Bond opening titles and then yeah, you have like a female body that's that. getting covered in I don't know whatever that kind of black paint or oil or whatever it is um, and complete mm-hmm. with you know like an opening title song Um and, yeah. and then then you from then on out you have like you know um kind of like it's really weird because like the the, the character that daniel craig is playing is so kind of useless in terms of not the entire supposed plot. to be yeah, yeah right <laughs> he's meant to like in the original versions which obviously were you know he's he's kind of he's this kind of dumpy kind of middle-aged guy who is suddenly like irresistible to women thrust into this yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and in that in that like in the remake it's kind of more understandable that daniel craig is irresistible to women um i kind of understand that part but then his investigation skills are so terrible that it's only when lisbeth comes (laughs) into the story that he actually makes any headway and Mm -hmm. you know he has this like reputation of being like a great investigative journalist but it's like if it feels like that's kind of a little bit like uh, i don't know a bit of a joke like he's not really that great he's just kind of mm-hmm. a bit mouthy and kind of pithy and that's what people like about him is like that kind of attitude and just the yeah, fact that he's just a journalist like he's just kind of yeah in the background i i feel like he's basically like it's it's david fincher's kind of commentary on like the mediocre white man and how mm. basically everyone else around him like his publisher is better than him the other journalists at millennium millennium are better than him Liz- lizbeth is right. better than him <laughs> like even yeah. even the murderer is better than him at doing what he's <laughs> doing and he's just kind of along for the ride and i think that's kind mm-hmm. of true of james bond as well james bond is basically uh-huh. next to useless in most situations and mm-hmm. you know he can shoot a gun but the bad guy always gets away until the very end of the film when finally <laughs> like and yeah. You know, if you ever look at James Bond, he's he's basically incompetent at his job for most of, of most most of those films, and it's only really mm-hmm. towards the end of the story where he finally catches up to the bad guy that he suddenly is like, oh, he he can finally you know kill someone and, and actually do his job. Um, and I yeah, think he just stumbles from set piece to set piece to set piece, yeah. figuring things out as he goes. Yeah, and and again, he like has to rely on gadgets and technology, and, and like he has to basically other people have to do his job for him. And I think <laughs> yeah. that's the same as you know like what what the girl with the dragon tattoo is. It's like here is this guy who's basically so incompetent he he almost got this magazine put out of business. 
um, due to mm. his recklessness. And now he's only being hired by this, like, you know, um, I, I guess, like, really the, the kind of, you know, the, the guy who hires him should really just hire Lisbeth and not bother with right. with Mikhail at all. Just, like, he's he's dead weight, basically. <laughs> like, um, well, wait, who hires him in the... Uh... In the movie, is is it the guy who actually does the murders? No, it's it's uh it's his no, okay it's All his right. um it's his uncle. Um, okay. Uh, uh, yeah. So like the, the like this rich guy who's been taunted, although he doesn't realize it's not really being taunted. Um, he's the guy mm-hmm. who hires Mikhail, you know, through his you know butler or whatever. Um, but it's yeah. like really they should have just gone straight to Lisbeth and just hired Lisbeth yeah. and not bothered with right. Mikhail. Like it's it's so it's so funny that like. He's basically dead weight for the entire film. Um, you know, even towards the end of the film, yeah. like the climax of the film, he's dead weight, literally, like at one point. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I so I think that's kind of the way Fincher adapted it. it he basically kind of took away the hero worship of, of the central character and made like right. uh, Mikhail like just useless and everybody else is highly mm-hmm. competent. Um, you know, like if you've almost put your own magazine out of business because you were so reckless that you published an article that was basically nothing but libel. It's like, right. why why are people still thinking that you're good at your job? Like, like um, <laughs> so yeah. I I mean, I love Girl with Dragon Tattoo just because it it has those kind of if you if you kind of read it like that of like here is a guy who's meant to be hyper competent and really good and everybody admires him, but actually he's not that good at his job. But people kind of put up with it because mm. he looks like Daniel Craig and has those steely blue eyes, and you're like, well. You know, as soon as he's staring at me with those eyes, I, like, who cares how bad he is at his job? Like, he's, you know, he's rugged right. and good looking, and that's all you need to care about. Like, and it, it's kind of, it feels like the film is a commentary on that. Like, you know, a commentary okay. of, like, here is an, here is basically an incompetent middle-aged white guy who just mes- <laughs> basically goes around making a mess. And then, you know, either his publisher, who, you know, obviously he's having an affair with, or his sister, who is, um, you know, a, a lawyer, um, you know, or Lisbeth, who is like an extremely competent, like hacker and researcher. Yeah. All of them have to correct his mistakes by the end of the film. Um, and obviously mm-hmm. in the original trilogy, um, Lisbeth then enacts her revenge by going and finding the, right. the guy who, you know, sued him originally and kind of killing him and, <laughs> and all that kind of. Mm-hmm. And so and then the story becomes about how Lisbeth is kind of, you know, in the second and third films uh, of the Swedish, you know, the Swedish adaptation. Um, she's basically kind of controlled by the state and it's about Mikhail trying to mm-hmm. free her from that. So he does serve a purpose, okay. but it's, it's kind of funny because it's like, he's so like when they did the kind of the, the kind of fake sequel that came out this year with the, you know, the girl in the spider's web or whatever, um, they basically mm-hmm. completely wrote out the character of Mikhail. He appears in like one scene and that's it. <laughs> so okay. I, so, wow. so wow. They, they kind of realized that his character was, was completely useless and not, shouldn't be the center of attention. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why the film is called The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo because that's the person you care about. You don't care, that's, right? You know. Right. She's the main character. It's it's not called middle aged white guy journalist. <laughs> you know, with the with the beer um, with the beer belly and the doughy face, which you know, like right. It's it, like how he is, and yeah. So it's you know the fact that obviously the author himself you know wrote himself these this trilogy of books so he could be a hero. It's kind of so transparent. Like he's he's literally the most like Mary Sue character in the history of like novels. Yeah. Um, and then in the films, I like that David Fincher kind of looked at the original, which is a good film, and then was like, no, mm-hmm. no, no, this this film needs to be about Lisbeth, but it also needs to be about how incompetent and useless Mikhail is. Um, and right. there's some funny stuff. There's some funny stuff in there where like Daniel Craig spends like you know half the film like falling down hills and getting shot at, <laughs> not, 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 and it's just it's just. Now that you say that. It- 
it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear that that's what is is being gone for. Yeah, yeah. So it's I don't know. I, that's why I kind of love that film because it's like it's it's so kind of like anti you know white male hero. It's it's like he's right. he's so useless and everybody keeps coming in and you know later on later on in the trilogy you know his sister ends up defending Lisbeth in court. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't do anything to get her you know it's back and it's yeah, it's his there. it's his sister that does the work you know as as like a, right. a judge advocate and stuff so like again you know and even in the in the in the second book it's the it's the publisher who he's been having an affair with who kind of gets millennial put back into business and all this kind of stuff so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's kind of funny that it's like um you know it's like the, he's meant to be the hero of the, the story but he's definitely not the hero of the story in not, any way yeah, yeah um but yeah um i'm interested if you've seen any house of cards or mindhunter at all darren because so house of cards fincher kind of got 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 it started for the most part uh just kind of the look of the show i I watched the first i watched the first um three seasons i think um i can't yeah, remember if i made finished a smart the... decision yeah keeping going with that well i i mean I, my intention is to finish it one day but uh i just uh-huh. you know other stuff has come out since then um but i'd yeah. i'd already seen the british house of cards which was based on the novels yeah. by michael dobbs so i already kind of knew mm-hmm. what the story was doing uh, the only thing they did differently yeah. was the character who gets killed in the first series of house of cards over here got killed at the start of the second okay. series of house second. of cards in america okay yeah. all right so they just moved the death by like one episode <laughs> um right right but because i was watching it going like oh so then they're not going to kill her and then season two started and i was like oh so I guess they are going to kill her, <laughs> you know. Mm, mm. Uh, and I, I've watched the first season of uh, Mindhunter. I've yet to watch the second season of Mindhunter. Right. Um, I, I'd say that Fincher definitely has a more of a grasp on, on Mindhunter than he did in House of Cards. He's directed like six or seven episodes of yeah, Mindhunter. I feel I feel like with House of Cards, he kind of you know his his friendship uh, with Kevin Spacey. Uh, Kevin Spacey obviously <laughs> is a production uh, is a producer on um, on this film on Social Network. So. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what led him to just direct the, the kind of pilot in the second episode. Um, from then on, yeah. I think he handed it off to Bo Willerman and he kind of showrun it for the rest of the, well, up until like the end of the fourth season. And then he stepped down and somebody else was the showrunner. But yeah. obviously he set, yeah. you know, he set the tone and I think the pilot is really good in t- kind of establishing, um, you know, the look of the series. Everything. And yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it, it, like it, even once it, it, he's not directing it, it still has the feel of like a David Fincher um, kind of project. Um but right. you know, I would still prefer instead of him doing more Mindhunter that he just did another film. I would just like to, <laughs> I would like right, him, right. I would like him to follow up Gun Girl with something. You know, anything at this point. Just let's, you know, let's get back into the cinemas. You know, where where well his work really kind of works. Right, he was gonna do that. Uh, 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 World War Z two movie. World War Z two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that fell again, apart though, right? <laughs> that's that's just because he's friends with Brad Pitt again. I th- I feel like at this right. point he needs. He needs to find some new friends or he needs to kind of focus on something else other than like TV shows. Um, right. Which I right. understand. I understand why he, you know, he enjoys doing them because obviously he's very good at it. But it still feels like, you know, I would he, he picks so many different projects that never kind of get made. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of, you know, that's why it took so long between Panic Room and Zodiac for him to kind of get another film made. But now at this point, we're kind of right. in a longer gap since since gone girl so <laughs> so even if yeah. he even if he was puts a, 2013 or 2014 yeah so even if he puts a film yeah, out next a year it'll be a longer gap than between panic room and zodiac so um but, right. you know effectively it makes his career easy to to kind of classify because 
up until Panic Room is the first kind of phase of his career, and then from Zodiac to Gun Girl is the second. So, you know, whatever the next film is, it'll mm-hmm. be the start of his third phase of his career. And, you know, I look forward to right. whatever that is. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm game just, for it. Uh, well, then let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at T-Z-A-R-R-E-V-A-N. And you can find us on MySpace at myspace.com slash the social minute or on Twitter at social underscore minute or on Facebook at the social minute podcast. Thanks for supporting my guest here today, Eric. Oh, no problem, Darren. And I'll speak to you tomorrow. We're gonna chase those crazy Chase those crazy bumpers Chase those crazy bullets out of the yard Here comes the con man Coming with his con plan We won't take no pride We've got to stay alive